The Mystery File Collective is intended for mature audiences. The following content may contain material that some people find triggering. If you feel disturbed by tales of murder, mystery, or myth, if you believe that they could traumatize you, we implore you to use your discretion before listening. We are about to introduce to you an exquisitely mysterious case of the disappearance of a young doctor and the peculiar patient he was treating. The two disappeared whilst traveling upon a remote road in a rural part of Venezuela in early November 1970. What is special about the case are the extraordinary diary entries of Dr. Esteban Cortez in which he talks about strange lights taking people and cattle from a remote village he had been sent to after the disappearance of a local doctor before him. The diary entries you are about to listen to reveal an astonishing account of close encounters of the first, second, third, and fourth kind. This is the diary of Dr. Esteban Cortez, missing since 1970. La Cañada Puerto Cumaripo, Falcon State, November 3rd, 1970. I have finally arrived in La Cañada, still seems to be a quiet place, judging by the little I have been able to see. Who would have thought? Me, Esteban Cortez, now a fully qualified doctor, finally back in Puerto Cumaribo. When I graduated from the capital, I didn't think I would return to this particular part of Falcon State. It's not that I hate where I originate from, it's just that I have nothing left here. However, I understand the place and the people of this particular part of Venezuela, which is why I believe I have been selected. I will get gas and eat something. I will try not to stay too long. I have to get to San Casimiro before nightfall. It is a dark and difficult journey over hellish terrain. In the middle of the 20th century, I feel I am just getting to know the electric light. The capital has been good for me. But now, I'm back in my hometown, a place where candlelight and oil lamps still seem to prevail in Venezuela come nightfall. The letter that Colonel Ruiz sent to the College of Physicians, says that the doctor in their town has disappeared and they need another one fast. The letter says that a young man they have in their office is not very well. He says the man is a stranger to the town. He is quite odd-looking, peculiar enough for people to fear him, and he's sick very sick. Apparently the stranger arrived in the town shaking and sweating. The fever he carried has gone down a little, but he looks bad and he needs medical help as soon as possible. The colonel and the townsfolk believe the doctor is needed to assess if the condition of the man is safe for others close by, to make sure that whatever is afflicting him is not infectious presenting a greater cause for concern. I'm further intrigued by the fact that, in his letter, Colonel Ruiz also says that Dr. Toro has mysteriously disappeared.
What happened to Dr. Toro? Apparently, nobody knows. His disappearance is very out of character. He would not leave his wife and children without explanation. So why did the doctor leave the town of San Casimiro so suddenly? Why would he leave his patient in such a poor condition? Why would a good doctor do such a thing? I can't say. What worries me about the doctor's mysterious disappearance is that San Casimiro is the type of place where people exact their own justice. It's not unusual for people to simply disappear. If the good doctor is suspected of a societal crime or has offended the pride and principles of a particular family, well, who knows what may have happened to him? Who knows what true situation I am walking into? I hope that being a local person will give me some advantages. I hope I am accepted. I also hope my Chevrolet can sustain the difficult trip from Puerto Cumaribo to San Casimiro. I understand that the road is not yet paved. La Cañada, Puerto Cumaribo, Falcon State, November the 3rd, 1970. Lunchtime. I'm sat in a restaurant that I've been to many times before as a child with my parents, and I'm flooded with memories. The place has not changed. The faces on the people are obviously different, yet the people are the same in every other way. A sour-faced waitress has left me the dish of the day, a surprisingly gritty fish soup. I'm not actually complaining about the soup. Its warmth was welcome. It was worth seeing the waitress's face. The sadness inside her. She couldn't mask her unhappiness with life, even for a customer. This is a tough place to exist. It saddens me. Anyway, at the restaurant... Two guys asked me for a ride. At first, they were looking at me with mean faces, which is a reminder for me to dress down a little while I'm here. But I love people, always have, which is why I became a doctor, and I'm also from this state. So I decided to break through the stern looks I was receiving and engage them in conversation. Let them know I am one of them inviting them to join me for a beer. And they did. Getting to know them, they told me that they were workers from a pumping station nearby, and on hearing that I was a doctor with a car on my way to San Casimiro, they asked for a ride back to where they came from. It was, after all, on my way. They had only come to this port to get supplies and to eat something different. I could not refuse to give them a ride. It's my nature. The men both work in this new pumping station that is on the road to San Casimiro. Supposedly, their employer plans to invest later in asphalting. A good idea, I believe. The roads here are truly awful. Senor Naguero, one of the workers, told me after dropping them at the pumping station it would be a further two hours drive to San Casimiro at a steady pace. The jungles that will surround the road would be thick and dense. It is a desolate part of the world, sparsely populated, so take it steady. Sound advice. On the way to Puerto Cumaribo from the capital, I was reminded of just how remote this part of the world is, seeing farmers with their carts as well as the many houses made of mud. 
a sight that flies in the face of science and progress that I've become accustomed to in the capital. Many would not believe it, but some people still live between walls of mud in this part of the world. Time has stood still. Road to San Casimiro, November the 3rd, 1974, late afternoon. I have stopped for a break, to get my breath, and to give my eyes a rest from the difficult road ahead, and to write. I need to write something down that is bothering me, Something that is wrestling with my logic over and over in my mind as I drive through the encroaching darkness. When one of the gentlemen I gave a lift to, Signor Naguero, got out of the car, he looked at me and he told me that he thought I was a good person and that he hoped that nothing would happen to me in that cursed village of San Casimiro. I obviously wanted to know more about what he was talking about. His face was somewhat distressed, and he told me that throughout the decades, people here believed that San Casimiro was a holy place, blessed by God. But the lands of San Casimiro are not holy at all, he said, going on to claim that evil stalks the town. The people are cursed. He told me that he stayed there for a night recently, but never again. I pushed him further to explain his comments, and he continued with absolute conviction to say that something evil is pressing upon the town. Cattle are being taken from farmers' land, only for their corpses to be found days, sometimes weeks later, horribly mutilated, their eyes scooped out, their organs missing, their brains gone. Then he told me of the strange lights in the sky, a strange, unnatural rolling lightning that lights up the sky, the whole town, in wave upon wave, of terrifying yet exquisite brightness. All of the townsfolk fear it. Some have left, or at least have gone missing. At the time, I didn't know what to say to all of this. I know that in this part of the world, where time has stood still, in the towns and villages off the beaten track, Superstition reigns. All the inhabitants tend to be superstitious, prone to belief in the supernatural. Gods and angels, demons and devils, ghosts, restless spirits of the dead. All of this may seem ridiculous, yet there was something truthful in Signor Naguero's eyes that made me believe him. A fear that seemed rooted in honesty and experience. When I arrive in San Casimiro, I will keep this man's fears to myself. Best not to ask too many questions. But then again, maybe the colonel of the town knows something about all of this. Maybe.
Casemiro, November the 3rd, evening. As exhausted as I am, before closing this entry for the day, I just wanted to celebrate in this diary the fact that I have arrived safely. Once I saw the huge fences surrounding San Casemiro, I left my car on the outskirts. I did not think it could cope with the climb up the muddy road, up the limestone elevation, after the car had done so well for me. More than three hours on an unpaved road. It deserved a break, and I needed to stretch my legs. I collected my bags from the car and walked the short journey up to the village. Upon arriving, Colonel Ruiz received me warmly and shook my hand with the firmest of grips. He was wearing a military uniform and I'm naturally very guarded with official personnel. Everyone in the village has apparently been anxiously waiting for my arrival as their new doctor. Yet at the same time, I cannot help notice the fear in the village's eyes, in their faces, as they watch me, stare at me, as if my very presence filled them with dread, or as if they feared for my welfare rather than their own. Colonel Ruiz invited me into his home, introduced me to his wife, Mrs. Margot Ruiz, Zabala, and his lovely daughter, Isabella Ruiz. Some workers took my bags and they led me to the office. On the way, he began to talk to me about the town. I could see, without him speaking, that San Casimiro is a village that still lacks. Its houses are mostly made of mud, housing a population of roughly 350 people, he tells me. The people of this village collectivize their resources in a true socialist model. They even have a village canteen that sits behind the building, used by the police chief and his police officers as a jailhouse. Despite the poverty here, there is a lot of local pride. The colonel told me, quite proudly indeed, that the villagers are working from sunrise to sunset to build a new town hall which will be only the third modern building made of cement, as well as the police station come jailhouse and the church. It was here that I asked him these simple questions running through my mind. Did he know what could have led Dr. Toro to leave without notice? And did he know where he had gone? The colonel's expression darkened. Do you know anything of the strange events that have been happening in the town? He asked. I played innocent. No, I replied. It was here that he told me of the strange lights mentioned to me by Senor Naguero, confirming his story. The town has been plagued by strange lights in the sky. Lights that bring with them a spectre of evil. Strange lights. Evil, I asked. How strange, how evil? You will see, the colonel replied, his lips tight. I pressed him further. No, tell me. I need to know. The colonel took a deep breath. His eyes became distant. Like lightning, rolling across the skies. But not fork lightning. Rather a bright light that spreads across the sky, like a sheet of light. Yet no thunder follows, no sound just the brightest of lights that floods the town before dying away once more. Interesting. Atmospheric pressure, perhaps. Look, I am from this part of the world, and I know how superstitious the people can be. 
don't be swept away by a colonel. There will be a rational explanation. There always is, I say. The colonel's expression darkened further. Previously, I would be inclined to agree with you, Doctor. But what follows is something wholly unnatural. Please, tell me more, I say. And the colonel paused for a moment, as if debating with himself as to how much he should divulge. A fearful look took residence in his eye. I... I told you. The doctor before you, Dr. Toro, vanished. No trace of him. Yes. You wrote as much in your letter to the College of Physicians, I said. Well, I believe his disappearance has something to do with the lights, he said. A silence hung between us. What have I been pulled into here? I thought, as the colonel continued. There are others. Other people have been going missing from the village. It coincides with the lights. The previous doctor, Dr. Toro, is one of the missing. At the time, he was helping me investigate the business of the lights. The people who have disappeared, as well as the strange man who has arrived in the village. The patient we need you to see. We don't know where he has come from. He won't explain. But he is very, very odd. And now seemingly very, very sick. His hair has fallen out. His teeth. He looks barely human. Some people in the village want him dead. They believe he has been brought here by the lights whilst others have been taken. Some people here believe that the man isn't human. They believe he's an alien. Whilst others believe the stranger comes from hell itself. A demon. It started with the mutilated cattle. At first the strange lights would appear. Like lightning flashing across the sky in sheets. But no thunder ever followed. We all thought that it was, as you say, a harmless weather event. A weird anomaly of atmospheric pressure. To which I silently nodded my agreement. But the farmer's cattle began to disappear. Only to turn up horribly mutilated. Their organs missing. Their brains and eyeballs. Some would turn up with all their organs intact, but completely skinned. Now people have started to disappear too. Dr. Toro is the fifth to have vanished without a trace. Meanwhile, this strange little man that's arrived in our town. He looks so peculiar. And he's mute does not speak a word, but rather grunts his needs when he's distressed, and he makes this strange chittering sound. The man's expression from the get-go was lost and vacant, and while people in the town began to fear the lights, he had this peculiar relationship with them. Whilst the villagers would run inside in fear, he would seem excited, happy to see them. His expression would beam and those lost, vacant eyes would begin to smile. Almost immediately, some villagers became very suspicious of the man. Some wanted him dead. Then within 24 hours of his arrival, he started to become very ill. His breathing difficult and shallow, his hair and teeth mysteriously began to fall out. He lay down in the middle of the village, arms wide cruciform, as if accepting death. The police and I took him into custody, 
for his own safety and alerted Dr. Toro. I paused before speaking again. This story is too extraordinary to be true. There has to be some rational explanation. Have you told anyone outside of the town? You never mentioned any of this in your letter to the College of Physicians. The Colonel studied me for a few seconds. Yes. My superiors in the army know. They have requested I keep the events in the sky above the village silent. I am not to dramatize the events of people vanishing to anyone outside. Hence my omission of the facts from the letter. It was more of an order than a choice, you understand. I apologize, he said. I paused for a moment. Did I feel tricked in coming here? I wasn't sure. Did Dr. Toro leave any notes on the patient? Anything that may help me understand his medical investigations, his questions and his conclusions? Not that I'm aware of, the Colonel said. I think I need to see the patient sooner rather than later, discover the root cause of his ailment and decide if the man is infectious or not. Then perhaps we can quell some of the hysteria surrounding the stranger and what he is or rather isn't, I said. Yes, certainly. Come this way. He's in the jail. It's this way. I'm keeping him under lock and key. The Colonel then gave me a lit oil lamp to travel with. He took one also, and we headed outside back out into the village. The village was deserted. I wondered if the villagers were fearful of being out at night. I followed him on the short walk to the police station, unable to resist looking up at the night sky, searching for strange lights. But there was nothing but stars. A heavy bunch of keys opened the jailhouse. The colonel pushed the door open before gesturing me to enter first. And so I did, whilst registering the hesitation on his features. Shadows lengthened as I entered the loitering darkness inside the jail, and the colonel followed in behind. Inside was a desk and two jail cells. The patient lay asleep in one cell, like a prisoner, asleep on his bed. He was strange-looking indeed. He was bald, as I have been told. His skin very pale. More like that of a European than a man from these parts. He was thin, his arms and legs like reeds as he curled up in a fetal position. I couldn't quite guess his size, but he seemed small. Perhaps 1.5 meters. No, perhaps smaller. I couldn't say. There appeared no marks on the skin that I could see, no unusual rashes, but his breathing was heavy and labored. And every now and again, he released that strange chittering sound. The sound of a of an animal that the colonel had mentioned earlier, like a crab-eating raccoon. I decided to leave him be as he was sleeping soundly, although my mind was whirling with all kinds of questions. Who was he? What was his sickness that made him bald in this way? Where has he come from? A stranger to this part of Venezuela is very odd indeed. It is way off the beaten track. I indicated to the Colonel that we should leave the man to rest, and so we did. Colonel Ruiz making sure to lock the door behind him. I told him that I would examine the patient in the morning in the cold light of day, and so the Colonel took me back to his house to eat and to retire to my room where I will be staying. I close this entry here, anxiously waiting for tomorrow to come, 
in truth, I'm exhausted. And despite the million unanswered questions, I'm still hopeful of sleep. I hope to get to know San Casimiro better tomorrow and solve the mystery of the peculiar stranger, whatever is ailing him. San Casimiro, November the 4th, morning. I had a restless night's sleep in the Colonel's municipal house. As I lay in bed, I found myself staring through the window, looking up at the night sky, daring the strange lights to come. They never did. I eventually fell into sleep, awaking a little before 6am, eager to start the day and get to the odd-looking patient. To examine him, his laboured breathing, his hair loss, and whatever was causing the peculiar chittering sound he makes. I dressed before the colonel's wife treated me to a simple breakfast, coffee with some cornflour bread, as was my wish. I was just finishing when the colonel arrived at the door. With him was another man in a black police uniform. In his forties, I would say. The colonel introduced the man as Signor Mateo Suarez, the chief of police in the town. I was later to discover that there was only one other police officer in the village, a skinny young man named Luis, no more than thirty. By the by, Mateo shook my hand quite formally and said that he was pleased to see me, but beyond that he fell into silence. He had a haunted, weary expression, his eyes dancing around restlessly, as if some guilty secret were about to be exposed. Right now, I've just made my excuses to escape to my room, to collect my medical kit and to prepare myself. I actually wanted to document the night I had and the events of my morning in this diary before things get complicated and I forget, as I expect I might. I want to document everything. Something is telling me that the events that are about to unfold will be events that I shall never forget. Time to go now. To join the colonel and the impressively titled chief of police before together the three of us head to the jailhouse so that i can meet and examine the patient <laughs> San Casimiro, November the 4th, afternoon. It's lunchtime, and I've had one of the strangest mornings in my very short life. On the short walk from the colonel's house to the jail, what felt like half the town gathered to watch. The people here are frightened. Their eyes are haunted and yet suspicious. They gathered in a group around me, nobody speaking, but their expressions said it all. We paused for a moment to take them in. Don't worry, the colonel said. They're just intrigued about you. A 
As we stepped forward, the crowd parted and we walked through the silent, fear-filled stairs. The jailhouse was locked and, as the colonel inserted his key in the door, I wondered if anyone had checked on the stranger since we left him the night before. It felt neglectful. Has anybody been to see him? Check if he's okay this morning. Or feed him breakfast, I asked. The man's sick. He sleeps most of the time, and he could be infectious. We want you to see him before we give the man food, the colonel said, with a firmness that surprised me. He opened the door and he ushered me in. The patient this time was far from sleeping. He was awake sat upright in the shadows of the darkness, his back to us and to the door. The colonel and the chief of police entered in after me and began opening the shutters to the windows. Sunlight flooded in, the gloom being chased away by the sudden influx of light. The stranger covered his eyes as he flinched, his features still turned away from me, obscuring my view. I walked cautiously over to the floor-to-ceiling bars that separated us. From the back, I could see his head now was completely bald. His skin and his features were an alabaster white. Not indigenous to Venezuela, I thought. Hello, sir, I said softly, not wanting to alarm him. He did not reply. Hello, sir. I am Dr. Esteban Cortez. I'm here to examine you if that's okay. He did not move. Rather, he tensed up further, perfectly still, like a frightened mammal in the shadow of a predator. Can we open the cell, please? I would like to go inside, I said and the colonel took his keys and he opened the cell door. I did what I could to ignore the fear stamped all over the colonel's face as I stepped inside. Why was he so afraid? I could sense the stranger tense up as if he could feel me approaching him and I took each step carefully, slowly. Hello, sir. I said again. Hello. I am Dr. Esteban Cortez. I'm here to examine you. I mean you no harm. I reached out an arm and touched his shoulder, at which point he released that high-pitched chittering sound, like a crab-eating raccoon. Slowly he turned to view me, and I got a look of his face. He was completely bald. No hair on his head or his face. No eyebrows. No eyelashes even. His nose was crooked like a hook, and he had very strong bone structure. High, well-defined cheekbones and a strong jaw all made more distinguishable by the man's weight. He was very thin and frail, maybe no more than 50 kilos. His skin was a deathly white. I'm sorry. I mean you no harm, I said softly. It was here that the man opened his eyes and looked at me. His eyes were strangely large, like a nocturnal animal out of the jungle, almond-shaped, the iris of a deep green, quite beautiful in a strange way. I'm a doctor, here to examine you. My name is Dr. Cortez. Is it okay if I examine you? I said. To my surprise, the man nodded. He seemed to understand me. I asked him to stand, 
my hands taking his own and guiding him to his feet. What I noticed was his hands were slender and unusually long and thin, and he was cold, ice cold to the touch. Once up on his feet, I could now see the stranger in full. He was small, as the colonel had mentioned, as I had guessed, perhaps a little over 1.5 meters or five feet. The clothes he was wearing were ill-fitting indeed. From an age gone by, the late 1800s perhaps, very strange. I calmly showed him my stethoscope and he seemed to understand what that was. He helped me unbutton his shirt, revealing a hairless white chest. I placed the ear tips of my stethoscope into my ears and the bell against his chest to listen to his heart. Regular, but alarmingly fast. 125 beats per minute. I placed a thermometer in his mouth and checked the temperature. It was alarmingly low. A body temperature of 32 degrees. Hypothermia. I asked him some simple questions. What is your name? What is your name? No reply. Again, I tried. I am Dr. Esteban Cortez. What is your name? No reply. The man's large almond eyes then locked onto mine and I was suddenly overcome with a deep loneliness. So much so, an emotional lump came to my throat and I almost began to cry. It was as if I could understand his emotional state without him speaking. I could feel what he felt inside. What is your name, sir? I am Esteban. What is your name? The man stared at me and then slowly he began to speak. Zion, he said. Zion, I repeated to the stranger, searching for confirmation. This felt like a breakthrough. Where are you from, sir? I asked, looking into those deep green eyes. Zion, the man said again, his tone flat and monotone. Zion, I asked confusedly, is that your name? Or is it the place where you are from? The stranger fell into silence. He turned away from me once more and the connection between us was broken. He slowly backed away from me to sit himself down on the bed before rolling into a fetal position once more, closing his eyes to sleep. What I will say, what I would like to highlight, is that this brief encounter with the stranger, the moments we shared where we connected, are amongst the most extraordinary that I have ever encountered, and I'm not entirely sure why. Perhaps it is the whole mystery surrounding the strange man. Perhaps it is the peculiarity of his appearance. Perhaps it is the palpable fear in the village that surrounds the patient. I turned to the colonel. This man is really ill. He needs more blankets. His core temperature is 32. Too cold. Dangerously cold. What ails him? Is he infectious? The colonel asked, his eyes quite startled as he searched for answers. I don't know, was my honest reply. What I do know is that this man cannot stay here. I would like to leave town with him, in my car. I need to get into a hospital, I said. No, absolutely not. He needs to be kept here, under lock and key, by order of the army, the colonel replied, 
the firmness of his tone, something I wasn't prepared to bargain with. I can see fear in the colonel's eyes, and men in power can do terrible things when they are desperate or afraid. We left the stranger, locked up in the jailhouse, for his own safety as much as our own, the colonel said. I have broken from the colonel's company to make my notes, and to commit my experience to this diary. I don't have too long. I am about to meet the colonel and the police chief for lunch, where my sole objective will be to convince the colonel to allow me to leave with the patient so I can get him to a hospital and examine him properly. So many questions about the stranger remain unanswered. Why the loss of hair and teeth, the high heart rate, the low temperature? The extraordinary experience I had when I looked into his eyes, when those deep green pools locked onto mine, the overwhelming sadness I felt, the deep-seated loneliness. I want to help this stranger, the peculiar little man who could only give me one word. Zion. What did that mean? Was that his name or the place that he hails from? Is that somewhere in Northern Europe, perhaps, his skin being so white? I have so many questions. I must get the Colonel to allow me to leave with the stranger. I must get him to civilization, to a hospital, before he dies, and the unanswered questions die with him. San Casimiro, November the 4th, afternoon. I have now had the pleasure of the village canteen. The atmosphere was tense and tight and people stare at me with suspicion. I'm starting to feel very uncomfortable here and I cannot get out of my mind the things Signor Naguero warned me about when I dropped him at the pumping station. I hope nothing bad happens to you in that place he said. Nor can I shake the feeling in my gut that the sick stranger, the patient locked up in the jailhouse, is not safe here, not safe in this village. I need to free him. But the conversation with the colonel is more than difficult. I get the sense that the villagers would like the stranger in their midst out of their life. I don't know why I feel this, but the instinct that I have is that the stranger is just not safe here. Over food, I took time to take in my surroundings. The village canteen is a good example of Venezuelan collectivization. The people here live under the tenets of socialism. They collectivize their resources and so nobody goes without. Some farmers have good years, others bad, but here that is never an issue with those doing well, supporting those not doing well, and there is always food for everyone, or so I'm told. Nobody goes hungry. Yet before eating, something again has happened that underlines my paranoia, the insecurity I feel for my safety and for the peculiar stranger. The colonel wanted me to look at one of the worker's ears, which had swollen. I took the farmer outside to examine him so that he was not so much on display. The village's eyes are constantly upon me, yet nobody speaks. The farmer's name was Senor Lopez, and he, like the others, was very stony-faced indeed his eyes carrying with them that same heavy, 
fear-filled look, like most of the people in the village. I examined his ear, trying to be as brief as I could so that I could try my best to persuade the colonel to allow the stranger and I to leave. But as I examined the worker, he gave me a warning that made the hairs on the back of my neck stand tall. Your ear is infected, I told the farmer. I have antibiotics with me and we'll get some to you after lunch. Thank you, he said, before grabbing my hand quite emphatically, locking his eyes onto mine and whispering like a conspirator. Leave this place, doctor. The devils come from the sky. He takes our people and our cattle while God does nothing. Leave this place. It has been cursed. We have been cursed. The farmer then noticed the watchful, brooding eyes of the colonel upon us, and he quickly fell into silence. He retreated into himself, and he walked away quickly, leaving me quite shaken. I watched the colonel's admonishing gaze following the man as he swiftly walked away. It was clear to me that the colonel runs this place with fear. As I walked over to the colonel, I decided not to mention the warning that the worker, Signor Lopez, had given me. Telling the colonel simply that the worker had an infection, telling him that I have antibiotics in my supplies and I will get them to him later. To this he agreed. Not so much luck in getting the colonel to agree to let me take the stranger away from the village so that I can get him examined properly in a hospital. When did the patient lose his hair and teeth? I asked. Within hours of him turning up at the village. Not long after the first lights appeared, he said. He's very ill. He needs help I cannot give him, I said. Is he infectious? The colonel asked once more. Truthfully, I cannot say, but if he stays here, I believe he will die. That was my reply, as truthful as it could be, not wanting to lie. Under no circumstances will this stranger leave this town. I am under strict instructions, the colonel said. But he needs greater medical help than I can give him. His heart rate is racing. It's trying to keep him warm. His temperature indicates extreme hypothermia. He needs help. If you can't save him, it is beyond my control. Yours too, the colonel said. Please, I begged, possessed by an urgent need to help the stranger, having felt his loneliness and his fear. It's more than my life is worth, doctor. Let that be the end of the matter. The colonel replied, his tone firm, his eyes admonishing in their glare. I bit my tongue. There is nothing more that I could do. I know better than to upset the colonel. He seemingly has total power here, and I know how these military figures can operate in small provinces. It is not beyond the realms of possibility that I myself could simply disappear, just like Dr. Toro before me. Perhaps this is what truly happened to him. Perhaps the colonel himself played his part. Who knows? San Casimiro, November the 4th, evening. It is now 8pm and this will be just a short update in this diary and will probably conclude the day. 
After lunch and a brief tour of the town, I got some antibiotics to Signor Lopez before I asked the colonel to allow me to see the patient again. He was sleeping this time, his breathing laboured. What ails him is beyond my comprehension. His respiratory system is struggling and his temperature remains stable at 32, but his prognosis is not good, not good at all. I'd love to get him to a hospital and have him physically examined. Why the loss of hair, the teeth? He's exhausted, I said to the colonel, trying to appeal to any sense of human empathy the man may hold. He's been like this since he arrived. He sleeps through the day. At night he comes to life, especially when the lights come. I raised an eyebrow. The lights. There were no lights last night. I would be sceptical about the whole story except, well, the fear that lives in the village's eyes is very real indeed. I turned the conversation back to the patient. Can you not see that without proper medical help the man will die? He sleeps through the day because he's exhausted. I'm going to be bold enough to say, Colonel, that you are safe to let me leave with this man. There are no other signs of infection that I can see, and I doubt very much if he is infectious to others. I can leave with him this very night. My gut feeling is that he will die without the right care. I promise to bring him back if you wish. The colonel said nothing. I feel he wants rid of the peculiar patient. I sense fear in him but his stubbornness makes the situation hopeless. I feel helpless. The man will die. I know it, and I feel for him. Casemiro, November the 5th, early hours. I'm writing this as quickly as I can as I've been given 15 minutes to get out of this village with the stranger before he is put to death. I have quickly packed my things and I'm making this entry in case anything happens to me. This diary bears witness to the extraordinary events taking place here in this remote village of San Casimiro, Venezuela, November 1970. I have finally seen, and I believe, tonight the lights came. A little after midnight, I awoke to pandemonium breaking out in the village. Men, women, children, all screaming as the lights in the sky returned. I dressed as quickly as possible and raced down the stairs to join the panic-filled chaos in the heart of the village. The lights are extraordinary. This is not lightning in any way, shape or form that I have ever seen. Lightning without thunder. It rolls across the sky in electric blues and pinks. Then an all-encompassing white light floods the village. So bright I had to shield my eyes. From the jailhouse, I could hear, as could everybody else, the stranger's high-pitched chittering sound, the volume of which was so ungodly, ringing through the air underscoring the horror-filled screams of the families sheltering behind their mud-brick homes. At first, the village was deserted, everyone inside their homes sheltering from what came from above. Then a family, the Alberto family, emerged from a mud-brick house. Their father, Signor Alberto, had suddenly gone missing. They told a tale of a blinding light that flooded their home, so bright they had to shield their eyes. And once the light had gone and they opened their eyes, Signor Alberto had vanished. 
a new name to add to the missing. Then came the grim discovery. Behind the village canteen, one of the previous missing, a Senor Perez, who had been gone for three weeks, had returned, dead. His face intact, but his body partially skinned, so that his bloody sinews and organs were exposed to all. His eyes were also missing. The horror-filled cries of Senor Perez's wife and family is something I will never forget. Throughout the chaos, a high-pitched chittering could be heard coming from the jailhouse, like a crazed animal. And the villagers began to turn their anger and their fear upon the stranger. Marching on the jailhouse, oil lamps and burning torches in hand, trying to get to the stranger that they believe is somehow part of the evil that has plagued their town. The situation got out of control as the villagers demanded their own justice, and in an attempt to defuse their anger and control what was now a baying mob, the colonel persuaded the villagers under his control to allow me to take the stranger. My heart is racing. I must go now. I have no time. The colonel is waiting for me at the jailhouse and will escort me and the patient to my car outside the village fences. I put my trust in God. I place my faith in God. May he be with me on this journey. November 5th, 1970. The road from San Casimiro to Puerto Cumaribo. Early hours. I will keep this brief. I am writing in almost total darkness. About an hour into our journey from San Casimiro to Puerto Cumaribo, the lights returned. The creature with me, for I no longer believe him to be fully human, became wildly excited. The chittering sound it made has shattered my hearing. Its eyes alive. Its toothless smile, awful in the darkness. And yet I'm strangely calm. I'm writing this entry not out of choice, but necessity. The lights have followed us. The colors, the blues and pinks rolling across the night sky as steady as a heartbeat. A white light, blinding and complete, swept over us and the car has undergone a mechanical failure. It simply has no power. We are stranded here on this jungle road. My plan is to wait until daybreak or in hope of another vehicle passing us tonight the likelihood of which is very slim. But we will stay put. Me here, in the darkness, with this stranger. I dare not venture out onto the jungle road at night. This creature beside me, his eyes are fixed up to the heavens. The lights have left us for now, but I fear they will return. That's the knowing feeling I have when I look into the creature's eyes. This 
thing that resembles a man sitting beside me. The thing that calls himself Zion. What is he? This was the final entry into the diary of Dr. Esteban Cortez. His red Chevrolet was found on the road from San Casimiro to Puerto Cumaribo two days later on the 7th of November 1970 by a military supply vehicle en route to San Casimiro. His bag and all his belongings were in the vehicle along with his diary. Dr. Esteban Cortez was nowhere to be seen. Neither was the strange man, the patient that traveled with him. Neither have been seen since. He, like many of the other missing people from the remote village of San Casimiro, simply disappeared, never to be seen again.